Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Psalm 100, and if you need to close your eyes and just settle into a heart posture of worship, if you need to read the words, do whatever you need to do to get into a place um, of taking a breath and setting aside the chaos, um, the busyness, um, the overindulgence, whether that was socially or with food, and just take a breath and remember that this is a moment for us to come together to exalt the Lord. And so I'm going to read Psalm 100. Um, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is good and God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him Bless his name, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So God, I just thank you. I thank you that regardless if we felt lonely on Thanksgiving or if we felt loved on Thanksgiving, that we can come into this place, we can step into your presence and know that you see us and you hear us and you meet us exactly where we are. And I thank you that you are a God that has chosen to send his son into an earth to be able to experience all the things that we experience. And so you get it. And so I ask this morning that we as a people would feel seen and heard and loved and known by our creator. And that our response would be to exalt your name above all other names that this morning we would choose to take a moment and to lift your name high. And with a joyful noise, we with one voice and with one accord lift your name and we say you are good and you are God and we are so thankful to be with you today in your presence and in your midst. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're gonna be continuing in Mark, and this will be the last Sunday we'll be in Mark for four weeks because we'll be going through Advent. 
So I'm going to continue the message that Josh preached last week about uh, the fig tree. So this is the passage where it dies. Um, so it's really, really uplifting. You guys are going to love it. So the, the verse that's been on my mind this week, though, has been um, this verse out of Psalm 149, verse 4. It says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. And so maybe just consider that for a second. What is it? How does God, the creator of everything, take pleasure in anything? Like he actually takes pleasure in something and he takes pleasure in you. If you're his people, then he takes pleasure in you. And he takes pleasure in you because you're his people, not because you've done anything, not because you acted a certain way or didn't do something or helped a person or avoided some conflict or had some level of security in your life. None of that is the reason that God takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in you just because you're you and you want to be taken pleasure in. And so today I want to preach a message that's really just as simple as this, that Jesus came to be with you, and that the fig trees that we build in our lives and that we want there to be fruit on are really not what Jesus wants for us, and that we have to be willing to allow the fig tree to die in us so that he can produce real, genuine fruit that's sacrificial, that's for other people, right? Fruit is meant to be consumed by others. It's not meant to be consumed by ourselves. For us, it's always consumed by another person. So the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things, they're for other people. And so the fig tree is for itself in this passage. And Jesus is trying to create something different in us. And so I want to start in Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is really like the thesis statement of the whole book of Mark. Everything kind of comes back to this. This is what it says. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that word there, the the kingdom of God, this is the first thing, these are the first words in red in the gospel of Mark. I got got laughs. I didn't even try. It's good. These are the first red words in, 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 in the gospel of Mark. And Jesus, the first thing he says is the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God has come. And, you know, there's some things in in our lives that are redeemable, and there's some things that need to be replaced. And so something like like murder. There's nothing nothing redeemable about murder. It's bad. You can't, there's nothing, there's not like a Christian version of murder that's good. It's just a bad thing to do, right? Like the murderer is redeemable. But the murder is, there's nothing Christian about that. So what, is, what we see in this passage is the kingdom of God is coming to replace something. It's nothing that's, it's not being redeemed, it's being completely replaced. And so something has to die and something else has to be born. The temple, the tables have to be flipped, the things have to change. And Jesus is trying to create a new kingdom and install a new kingdom. So the the principle of this kingdom is all centered around a personal connection, which is not what they knew. Everything was about a Jewish elite having the, the connection with God. But from here on out, Jesus is saying, you have the connection with God. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you in a spot where you can just be with him. 
Everything comes around that. So we see in this passage here that this is what he's doing. He's saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm going to replace what you know with something that will actually give you life, that will actually produce fruit in you. So Josh preached last week, and I want to read the passage that he preached because they're so intertwined. Um, And then we'll jump in um, to the next verses. So Mark 11, 12 through 19. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he, being Jesus, became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Harsh words. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Note there, that's the, the, all, for all the nations is really important because this was a house of prayer, but it wasn't for everyone. This was a place that was just for the Jewish elite. So the, all the nations, he's trying to create something that is of broader scope. My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they would go out of the city. So they're in, so this is this happens in Jerusalem, and they are, you kind of think of there's Jerusalem and Bethany in this passage. Bethany's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So you can kind of think of it as like the Smyrna of Atlanta. It's the suburb. Jesus is kind of like commuting in and out each day. So in the morning he goes in. In the evening he comes out. Um, probably takes 75 and sits on his donkey in traffic like we do. And so this is, this is kind of the flow of the passage. And what, we, what Josh talked about last week was that the fig tree, I think that's unique about it, is that it looks like it has some fruit, but it doesn't. It looks like it's in leaf. It looks like it's supposed to have something on it. You walk up to it. There's nothing there. And then he goes into the temple. And you, you guys remember the day before, Jesus rides his donkey into, the, into Jerusalem. He goes in, and it says he goes into the temple, and he looks around, and then he leaves. All right, so the next morning, he gets up. He, he curses this fig tree on his commute in. And he goes, and he looks in the temple, and this time he knows what he's going to do. He's going to replace it. He's going to replace what, he, what was there because it doesn't work. And so he's, he's coming in to replace it, and the temple, it, it doesn't have any fruit, just like the fig tree. It seems like it has fruit, but it doesn't. This is the really scary thing about our lives when we have, when, it, when something looks like it has fruit, but it doesn't. Because there's a lot of people that look like they have it all together, but really deep down, the fruit is all for them. And it's not for anyone else. And so there's two things that are happening. Jesus is first replacing the religious system. He's creating a space for Gentiles to actually be included. So all of these, this buying and selling, all would have happened in the Gentile court. They wouldn't have done it in the Jewish elite. It would have happened in the Gentile court. So they would have come in and wanted to, the Gentiles would have wanted to pray in this space, which is the only way that they would have been able to interact with the Father in this, in this society, and there's just so much going on, they can't even, there's the life, their lives are too cluttered. 
And so, they, and so Jesus comes. He's like, I'm going to remove the stuff in order to get you at a spot where you can just be with me. That's what I'm going to do. So he creates, so he replaces the religious system, and he creates a space for connection. And then Josh talked about the fig tree and how not only is it a religious system that's being replaced, but there's this false self that really each of us have, right? Like we all have this false version of us that looks like it has fruit and it doesn't. And so we just have to acknowledge, like what is the, what's the version of you and me that, that we really want to have fruit, but it's just not good for us? What's the version of us? So for me, like I'm a, if anybody knows the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 3, and I, I love success. Like I like to achieve a lot, and it's like an unhealthy level of achievement. And so anytime when I get into a room, I want to be the best at whatever's happening. Like I, I, I could have no idea. It's going to be like shuffleboard, and I'm like, I'm going to be the best shuffleboard player here. And so anytime, so what happens is for me, I become a Christian, and I want to be the best. I want to be the best Christian, right? I'll come into ministry. I want to be the best at ministry. And so I can go to great lengths to ask God, give me this thing. I need this. When really it's just producing this insecurity of me in me. So I, and so there's, there's this fruit that comes up. And the, the fruit for me is it's notoriety. It's prestige. It's um, a doctorate. It's, a, it's planning churches. It's starting nonprofits. For me, it's doing what appear like good things, don't they? But for me, it's bad fruit. And so I have to be really careful. And I wonder if, if there's many times where we, we go to God and we're like, hey, God, why don't, I need you to remove this thing out of my life. But yet it's all for us. And it looks like we're, we need him to remove it. Or, we, or it looks like we really need that, that car, that house. Oh, I really need that house because I'm going to invite people into it. When really the house may be about everybody looking at you so you have it together, those little things. So we have to acknowledge what's, so maybe the question for you is, what is what's your fig tree? What's the thing that you get try to get things together in order that other people would see the fruit and maybe think you're great? And I think it's different for each of us. You know, maybe you just want to be unique or perfect or, or I, I, don't, I don't know. But for me, I know it's success. And so successes for me are really, really dangerous territory for me to enter into. And so I have to, I have to just cultivate practices within myself to say, I'm, I'm not going to be successful today. What? Yeah, I'm going to sit. I'm not going to be successful because I know that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. The Lord takes pleasure in me, not because of anything I've done, but for who I am. So I want to ask that you would pray with me, let you use your imagination. So if you close your eyes, I just want you to imagine a normal morning. You're in this time period where Jesus is alive, and you're a Gentile. Your, your typical day is you, you live in Bethany, you wake up in the morning, you go and you pick fruit off of this tree. You eat some figs on your way, you hike a couple miles to where you would typically go and worship every day. You walk into the temple, and it's loud. You're full from the food that you ate, but still unsatisfied. And the noises are really distracting. You've come here, you're going to have your time with God, and 
the noises are just too much. There's animals, goats, sheep, birds. There's, it's like a mall. There's people buying and selling. A man shouts across the temple to another person. It's just too much. And every time you try to interact with God, you just can't because of the noise. So if you'd notice the smells and the noises, the distractions. And in this moment, Jesus walks in. He's got 12 disciples hesitantly sitting behind him. And he comes in calmly but intentionally. And the place quiets down and he flips the tables. Money changers are driven out. It's a little bit chaotic, but then things start to calm down. It's a confusing time, and you go, and you leave that place, and you go back home. And the next morning, you wake up. You do the same thing you normally do. You get out of bed. You get ready. You go, and you take your journey. And you go to the fig tree, like you always do. There's no fruit on it. It's dead this time. You're hungry. This is how you always eat breakfast. So you walk, hungrily, frustrated, to the temple. And this time you walk in the temple, and there's no noises. It's simple. It's quiet. It's almost too quiet. It feels like there's nothing there. And you sit in the middle of an empty temple, and Jesus walks in. He sits down with you. Just the two of you. And things are quiet. And you want to bring up things to him. And you ask him questions. Maybe you ask him for some figs. Because you're still hungry. But he doesn't respond. He's just silent. And you guys stare into each other's eyes. And eventually, you begin to feel peace. In the midst of the hunger... In the midst of the frustration, you feel peace. And you come to realize that the whole time, it was just to be with him. So God, as we interact with this passage today, would you enlighten us, show us who you are, and how you are good. Hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better this way. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can pull up the the next few verses, Bill. Um, I'm going to read just these two first. um, As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter says to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. So just... The, the obvious thing that happens here is the tree dies. Like, Jesus, who could have done anything, the father of all creation, could have, made, could have just produced fruit on the fig tree. That could have been the miracle if he wanted to just do something. But he doesn't. That's not his route. He decides this thing is incompatible with the kingdom of God. It has to die. And so this becomes this, this kind of like living parable that Jesus teaches And so the the progression is the tree is cursed, the tree dies, and Peter, like the typical Peter fashion, says, Rabbi, look. And Jesus is going to say, 
yeah, of, of course it died. Like, this is, we've seen Jesus do all of these miraculous things throughout the gospel. And blind people seeing uh, water into wine, thousands of people fed. And when he's surprised when Jesus curses a fig tree and it actually dies. It's kind of baffling, you know. And, and so there's this natural progression of, the, I think Jesus is saying, like, of course, of course it died. So let's, let's see what he says here. Verse 22, and Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and it will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So yeah, so it's just this, this, I think he's just saying like, I mean, first off, he would have been standing right in Jerusalem and Bethany, there would have been the Mount of Olives there, and the Dead Sea would have been there. So he's probably, the sense I get from Jesus is, he's like, you're surprised that the fig tree died? He's like, look at that mountain. You can throw it into that water. Like, he's just picking the first thing he sees, I feel like. It's like, look, that can go in there. It, you have, he's like, what he's saying is, I have, crea- I have been telling you that you have face-to-face interaction with the father of all creation, and you're surprised that this can happen. Like, you can do all things. And so I don't, I don't get a sense that, that it's, a, it's even a huge lesson on faith as much as, as it is, like, this is about me sitting with you. Like, it's about a posture before the father, not about your passion over and over again to pray and believe for something. So, Note that he doesn't put fruit on the tree. He kills the tree. And so my question for you is, are you asking for fruit on the wrong tree? Are you asking for Jesus to, put a, to give you figs when he's trying to give you something else the whole time? And maybe the silence is indicative of something. And so, I mean, I think that the, my, favorite ver, my favorite words in this passage are, when Jesus says in verse 21, being reminded, Peter says to him, Rabbi, look, I can't tell you how many times I've done this. Rabbi, look. And he's like, all right, just pay attention. He's like, well, look at that. Look at my fig tree. I really, need, I really need a doctorate. It's like, focus right here. He's like, no, but I really need to plant a church. But look, right here. And so the silence I get when I'm talking about something, it's because I'm talking about the wrong thing, Right? And so the insecurity drives us, the false self drives us to begin asking questions over and over again about something that has nothing to do with with what's really happening. And so then he starts talking about a mountain. I was in the, this weekend I was in the Smoky Mountains. For those of you who don't know me real well, I I love to backpack. And so I, I typically grab a backpack and go out into the woods for a few days, a couple times a year. And uh, this, this trip, I was uh, last weekend in the Smoky Mountains, and it's one of the remotest places in the southeast. There's, you can get out there and not see a city for miles and miles and miles, and there's just so many mountains. Um, so that big, that big storm that you guys had last Saturday, I was like slung in a hammock between two trees. It was awful. It was really cold. I woke up, there was snow everywhere. Um, anyways, we start hiking up, 
um, and we're probably 4,500 feet elevation, and you just look, and it's, there's snow covering the ground about half an inch, and uh, you see snow-capped mountains, and we watch the sunrise on top up there, and there's something, I'm sitting with a couple buddies of mine, and there's something so captivating about a mountain to me, and especially when they have snow on them with the sun coming up, it's just remarkable. So there's something about a mountain that captivates our attention. In the Bible, typically, mountains are associated with great difficulties. There's something that has to be overcome. And all the while, when I'm sitting on that mountain looking out, sometimes, you know, in that interaction, sometimes somebody says something to another person, and there's just silence. Like, we don't, we just kind of almost ignore each other because it's just so beautiful. And I think that sometimes this interaction is kind of like sitting with Jesus, like, all the while, like, there's, that mountain's awesome, it's crazy, or maybe that, that mountain is awful, and it's really difficult for you, but all the while, Jesus is sitting right there next to you, and he's the one that really matters, and I, you just can't keep your eyes off of it, but yet he's sitting right there. And so what I would say is, when you're sitting there on that mountain, saying, Rabbi, look, look. And all the while he's saying, look at me, look at me. And so turning your attention from rabbi, look, look at the rabbi. So my question is, why do we want our mountains in the sea? Why do we want our mountains in the sea? Are they because that mountain is keeping us from getting fruit on our fig trees? Are, they try, are, you, are you wanting that mountain? Is it in the way, Right? Like, ah, if I have to have that thing or that thing has to leave. And these can be big things. I mean, we're talking about something, let's, let's, let's throw something like cancer. I mean, these are things that, this is a mountain that's sitting in the way. But the approach to Jesus, even with asking, okay, we believe that God wants to heal that thing, but what's the approach? What's on the other side of that mountain for you? Right? Like, sometimes, some, there's two ways to get around a mountain. You go over it or around it. Sometimes in the, the mount, going up it is really, really difficult. I think sometimes God calls us to go up them and around them. And it's really contingent on what type of fruit you're trying to get off a tree. So maybe God's trying to produce something in you. And so instead of, instead of praying, God, remove that mountain, get it out of my way, when all the while, all it's going to do is, is put fruit on your fig tree when Jesus is trying to kill it. And I know that's hard to hear, but Jesus will definitely remove any mountain that keeps you from sacrificial fruit. Any mountain that keeps you from connection with God, any mountain that stands in the way of you being with him, it will leave like that because he cares that much about you. He will go to great lengths to see that he gets to be with you. So what he says here, his first response to Peter, have faith in God. That word faith is a Greek word, it's pistis, and what it means is trust, faithfulness, fidelity, or presence over time. It's not about a transaction that has to happen. It's not about how hard you pray, how long you pray. It's about fidelity. It's about me sitting in the midst of it with you, and believing, believing that Jesus is the provider. 
in the midst of that. And there's a big difference because sometimes we want mountains to leave and Jesus wants us to walk around them. And so this is the thing about faith. Faith can do two things. It can solve any problem or it can make us able to deal with any difficulty. And sometimes our mountains are there to make us deal with any difficulty because it cultivates a fruit in us that cannot be had any other way. And here's the truth. The fruit that Jesus gives is the only thing that will sustain you. That's the only thing. Because you can eat, I, I don't, I'm not hating on figs, but they're, they just, they're a little weird. They look like a brain on the inside. I'm not a huge fan. Um, like they're okay in moderation. But like if you're only sustained off of the same stuff over and over again, he's trying to give you something real something substantial. So receive. Receive from him and know that the Lord takes pleasure in you. The Lord takes pleasure in you, not for anything you've done, but for who you are. So Bill, if you'd pull up Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Don't worry then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek for all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom, that kingdom that's always built on personal connection with you, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the kingdom of God is not about a transaction where we bang our fist against the pulpit, begging and begging and begging till the mountain leaves. It's a kingdom that is built around you being with him. And if your mountain takes you to him, it's doing something good. So he takes pleasure in you. And as you imagine yourself sitting in that temple with him, it's just the two of you. What are you talking to him about? Are you saying, Rabbi, look at that thing. I think we spend a lot of our Christianity saying, Rabbi, look at my fig tree. Look at my mountain. We stare at our fig trees and stare at our mountains when Jesus is standing right in front of us. So are you staring at fig trees and mountains when all the while the fig tree is trying to die? And I challenge you today that you would bring any mountain to Jesus that would keep you from one connection with him and two, from bearing any fruit for others. Because I tell you something, he will take it away. He will cast it into the sea in the blink of an eye because it keeps you from true life. But if your mountains are there and if your fruit is bearing for yourself, only for you, it will not sustain. So if the ministry teams want to come up, and the worship team. I want to challenge you today to three things. Firstly, to, to acknowledge your fig tree. The self-awareness is, more, is one of the most valuable things that, for me, I've ever experienced. Like, for me to just know who I am, to know my faults, to know my tendencies, right? Like, there's, there's a version of me that, that you guys, like, clap at. And you're like, yeah, Jordan, you're doing awesome. 
and it's like killing me. So there's a version of you that people will that that looks really really good. It looks it looks like the fig trees and leaf, but it's it's dying. It's not good. So we have to just let it go. And so acknowledge what acknowledge your fig tree. And then look at Jesus. Look at the rabbi. And don't stop looking at him. You're like, no, but there's a mountain there. Just look at him. But no, the, the, there's a fig tree. Look at him. Just, just look at him. And as you look at him, eventually, those things, they become a little bit foggy. If you're ever looking at someone and there's something off in the distance, just imagine looking at Jesus and there's a mountain off in the distance and you know that it's there, but all you're fixed on, your focus is on him. So look at the rabbi and then pray boldly. Pray boldly that mountains that hinder us are cast into the sea, that hinder us from our connection with him. If you'd stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. So I just love the verse of that song we sang earlier. Hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better this way. And so, God, we just come before you and we say, it's so much better this way. It's so much better the way that you do the work and I don't. It's so much better the way that you bear the fruit in me than me trying to muster something up again and again. I keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, and it keeps keeps failing me. And so, God, today, as a community, we come before you, we ask, God, for your hand of grace to provide our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus, that we would pull from the storehouses of heaven and not from the storehouses of this earth. God, when we see things that are failing here, when our mouth is dry, our, our stomachs are empty, God, would we know that you provide the fruit that brings eternal life. And it is for someone else. And so, God, we ask you that you would bear fruit in this church. That you would bear fruit in us as individuals, God. That we would be like trees planted by streams of living water. Bearing not just one or two pieces, but, God, hundreds and hundreds of fruit, God. And that the city would come to this place to eat and drink deeply of real, genuine life. And so we give you this day and pray, God, for your goodness, your peace, your joy, your love, your self-control, the faithfulness, God, that we desperately need to be cultivated in us. And God, as we, and I know that there's people here today with mountains standing higher and higher than you've ever seen them before. And so, God, we come before you and we're willing to bring them to you, God. But are we going to be okay with the response of what you say when you see it? And so, God, give us the, the boldness and the grace to say yes and no 
to the things that we should or shouldn't. And so we trust you today, together from here on forward, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I just want to come and dismiss you and pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your people. Thank you that you take pleasure in us. Thank you so much, God, that we have been granted sonship and daughtership and that we have a place with you to sit with you and be with you in the midst of life. So would you hold us, protect us, and guide us as we go from this place in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.